Osho. Ah, this. Talks on Zen stories given at the Osho Commune International, Pune, India. Discourse number five. Bhagwan. Dogo had a disciple called Soshin. When Soshin was taken in as a novice, it was perhaps natural of him to expect lessons in Zen from his teacher, the way a schoolboy is taught at school. But Dogo gave him no special lessons on the subject, and this bewildered and disappointed Soshin. One day he said to the master, It is some time since I came here, but not a word has been given me regarding the essence of the Zen teaching. Dogo replied, Since your arrival, I have ever been giving you lessons on the matter of Zen discipline. What kind of lessons could it have been? When you bring me a cup of tea in the morning, I take it. When you serve me a meal, I accept it. When you bow to me, I return it with a nod. How else do you expect to be taught in the discipline of Zen? So Shin hung his head for a while, pondering the puzzling words of the Master. The Master said, If you want to see, see right at once. When you begin to think, you miss the point. Sujata has written to me how art of God to choose the Jews. Sujata, God has a tremendous sense of humor. Religion remains something dead without a sense of humor as a foundation to it. God would not have been able to create the world if he had no sense of humor. God is not serious at all. Seriousness is a state of dis-ease. Humor is health. Love, laughter, life, they are aspects of the same energy. But for centuries people have been told that God is very serious. These people were pathological. They created a serious God, they projected a serious God out of their own pathology. 
and we have worshipped these people as saints. They were not saints. They needed great awakening. They were fast asleep in their seriousness. They needed laughter that would have helped them more than all their prayers and fasting, that would have cleansed their souls in a far more better way than all their ascetic practices. They did not need more scriptures, more theologies. They needed only the capacity to laugh at the beautiful absurdity of life. It is ecstatically absurd. It is not a rational phenomenon. It is utterly irrational. Moses went up the mountain. After a long time, God appears. Hello, Moses. Good to see you. Sorry you had to wait. But I think you will feel it was worth it because I have something very special for you today. Moses thought for a second and then said, Ah, no Lord, really. Thank you. But I don't need anything right now. Some other time, perhaps. Moses, this is free, said the Lord. (laughs) Then said Moses, give me ten. That's how Jews got the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Sujata, Zen has something Jewish in it. It is really very puzzling why Zen did not appear in the Jewish world. But Chinese also have a tremendous sense of humor. Zen is not Indian, remember. Of course, the origin is in Gautam the Buddha. But it went through a tremendous transformation, passing through the Chinese consciousness. There are few very wise people who think that Zen is more a rebellion against the Indian seriousness then a continuity to it. And they have 
a point there, a certain truth is there. Laosu is more Jewish than Hindu. He can laugh. Chuangtasu has written such beautiful and absurd stories. Nobody can conceive an enlightened person writing such stories which can only be called at the best entertainment. But entertainment can become the door to enlightenment. It is originally connected with Buddha, but the color and the flavors that came to Zen came through Laosu, Chuangtasu, Litasu, and the Chinese consciousness. And then it blossomed in Japan. It came to its ultimate peak in Japan. Japan also has a great quality of taking life playfully. The consciousness of Japan is very colorful. Zen could have happened into Jewish world too. Something like it really did happen, that is Hasidism. This story must have come from Jewish sources. Although it is about Jesus, but Christians have no sense of humor. And Jesus was never a Christian, remember. He was born a Jew, he lived as a Jew, he died as a Jew. Jesus is hanging on the cross, singing <laughs> Dadi Li Dadam Di Dei. <laughs> Suddenly Peter hisses from underneath, Hey Jesus! Jesus goes on, Da Li Di Dam Da Dam Li Dam Da Di Peter now more urgently, Hey Jesus, stop it! Jesus continues happily with di dua dua. <laughs> Finally, Peter says, For God's sake, Jesus, cut it out. Tourists are coming. <laughs> Try to understand Zen through laughter, not through prayers. Try to understand Zen 
plethora of flowers, butterflies, sun, moon, children, people in all their absurdities watch this whole panorama of life, all these colors, the whole spectrum. Zen is not a doctrine. It is not a dogma. It is growing into a insight. It is a vision. Very light-hearted, not serious at all. Be light-hearted, light-footed, be of light step. Don't carry religion like a burden and don't expect that religion is a teaching. It is not. It is certainly a discipline, but not a teaching at all. Teaching has to be imposed upon you from the outside. And teaching can only reach to your mind, never to your heart, and never, never to your very center of being. Teaching remains intellectual. It is an answer to human curiosity. And curiosity is not a true search. The student remains outside the temple of Zen because he remains curious. He wants to know answers and there are none. He has some stupid questions to be answered. Who made the world? Why he made the world? and so on and so forth. How many heavens are there and how many hells? And how many angels can dance on the point of a needle? And is the world infinite or finite? Are there many lives or only one? These are all curiosities. Good for a student of philosophy, but not good for a disciple. A disciple has to drop curiosity. Curiosity 
is something very superficial. Even if those questions are answered, nothing would have happened to your being. You will remain the same. Yes, you will have more information. And out of that information, you will create new questions. Each question answered brings ten more new questions. The answer creates ten new more questions. If somebody says God created the world, then the question is why he created the world? And why a world like this, so miserable? If he is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, could not he see what he is doing? Why he created pain, disease, death? Now, so many questions. Philosophy is an exercise in futility. A student comes out of curiosity. Unless he becomes a disciple, he will not become aware that curiosity is a vicious circle. You ask one question, you are given the answer, the answer brings ten new more questions and so on and so forth. And the tree becomes bigger and bigger, thicker and thicker is the foliage. And finally the philosopher has only questions and no answer at all. Surrounded by all those stupid questions, stupid I call them because they have no answers. Stupid I call them because they are born out of childish curiosity. When one is surrounded with all those questions and there is no answer, one loses sharpness, one loses clarity, one is clouded, and one is no more intelligent. The more intellectual one becomes, the less intelligent he is. The professor who had committed his wife to a mental institution was talking to the chief of his staff. How will we know when my wife is well again, doctor? We have a simple test. We give all of our patients, he replied. We put a hose into a trough, turn on the water, give the patient a bucket, and then tell him to empty out the trough. What does that prove? inquired the professor. Elementary, sir, the doctor assured him, any sane person will turn off the hose. Is not science wonderful? he replied. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> he must have been a professor of philosophy.
he can't be less than that. The philosopher only knows questions. He is lost in the jungle of questions. The philosopher remains immature. Maturity is of consciousness, not of intellectuality. It is not of knowledge, it is of innocence. Yes, not to know is the most intimate. And to function out of that not knowing is to function in an enlightened way. To respond out of not knowing is to respond like a Buddha. That is true response, because it is not clouded, not distorted, not contaminated, not polluted and poisoned by your mind and your past. It is fresh, is young, it is new, it arises to the challenge of the present. It is always in synchronicity with the new, with the present, and present is always new. It is always moving, it is dynamic. All your answers are static, and life is dynamic. Hence Zen is not interested in answers, or in questions. It is not interested in teaching at all. It is not a philosophy. It is a totally different way of looking at things, at life, at existence, at oneself, at others. Yes, it is a discipline. Discipline simply means a methodology of becoming more centered, of becoming more alert, of becoming more aware, of bringing more meditativeness to your being. Not functioning through the head, not even through the heart, but functioning to the from the very core of your being, from the very innermost core, from the center of your being, from your totality. It is not a reaction. Reaction comes from the past. It is a response. Response is always in the present, to the present. Zen gives you a discipline to become a mirror, so that you can reflect that which is. All that is needed is a thoughtless awareness. The first thing to be dropped is curiosity, because curiosity will keep you tethered to the futile, 
it will keep you to be a student it will never allow you to become a disciple boris who was from russia had been in america only a few months he did not speak english very well one day he was asked boris what is it that you are most anxious to see in america well replied boris i wish most to meet the famous mrs beach who had so many sons in the last war get it he must have heard all the americans calling each other son of bitch son of bitch so he is very much interested answers curious to know about mrs beach the famous mrs beach curiosity is always like that it is foolish but it can keep you tethered to the mind and don't think that there is some curiosity which is spiritual metaphysical no nothing like that exists all curiosity is the same whether you inquire about the famous mrs beach are you inquire about god it is all the same inquiry from the mind will have the same quality of childishness there is a totally different kind of inquiry that arises from the deeper recesses of your being zen is interested in discipline not in teaching it wants you to be more alert so you can see more clearly it does not give you the answer it gives you the eyes to see what is the use of telling to a blind man what light is and all the theories about light it is futile you are simply being stupid in answering the curiosity of a blind man what is urgently needed is a treatment of his eyes he needs an operation he needs new eyes he needs medicine that is discipline buddha has said that i am a physician not a philosopher and zen is absolutely a treatment it is the greatest treatment that has come to humanity out of the work of thousands of enlightened people very refined it can help you to open up your eyes it can help you
to feel again, to be sensitive to the reality. It can give you eyes and ears. It can give you a soul, but it is not interested in answers. Meditate over this beautiful story. Dogo had a disciple called Shoshin. When Soshin was taken in as a novice, it was perhaps natural of him to expect lessons in Zen from his teacher, the way a schoolboy is taught at a school. Yes, it is natural in a way, because that's how we are conditioned. Knowledge is given to us in the form of question and answers. From the primary school to the university, that's how we are taught, conditioned, hypnotized. And naturally, after one third of your life wasted in that way, you become accustomed of it. Then you start asking profound questions in the same way as one asks, How much is two plus two? You start asking about love, life, God, meditation in the same way. In fact, even that ordinary question is not answerable. If you ask the real mathematicians, even this simple question, how much is 2 plus 2, is not answerable. Because sometimes it is 5 and sometimes it is 3. It is very rarely 4. It is an exception. That two plus two may come to be four. Very exceptional. For the simple reason, because two things are never the same. It is an abstraction. You add two plus two and you say four. Two persons and two persons are four different persons, so different that you cannot create an abstraction out of them. Even two leaves and two other leaves are so different, you cannot simply call them four leaves. They are not similar. Their weight is different. Their color is different. Their shape is different. Their taste is different. Two things are not similar in the world. So how two plus two can be four? It is just an abstraction. It is lower mathematics. The higher mathematics knows 
that this is only utilitarian. It is not a truth. Mathematics is an invention of man. It is a workable life. What to say about love, which goes beyond all mathematics and all logic. In love, one plus one becomes one, not two. In deep love, the two-ness disappears. Mathematics is transcended. It becomes irrelevant. In deep love, two persons are no more two persons. They become one. They start feeling, functioning as one unit, as one organic unity, as one orgasmic joy. Mathematics won't do, logic won't do, chemistry won't do, biology won't do, physiology won't do. Love is something which has to be experienced in a totally different way. It cannot be taught in the ordinary ways of teaching. It cannot become part of pedagogy. But the disciple Shoshin was a novice, a newcomer. It was perhaps natural of him to expect lessons in Jain from his teacher, the way schoolboy started his school. It is natural in a state of unconsciousness. Remember, there are two natures. One is when you are asleep. Then many things are natural. Somebody insults you, you become angry. And that is natural. But only in unconsciousness, in sleep. You insult the Buddha, he does not become angry. That is higher nature. A totally different kind of nature. He is functioning from a different center altogether. He may feel compassion for you, not anger. He functions through awareness. You function through unawareness. In sleep, you cannot do anything worth any value. You cannot do anything valuable. Whatsoever you do is all dream. You imagine. You think you are doing good. Just the other day somebody had asked, I want to do good. I want to be good. Bhagwan, help me. I cannot help you directly to do good or to be good. I can help you only indirectly. I can help you only to be more meditative. And 
on the surface it may seem that your question is something else and my answer is totally different you want to be good and i talk about meditation how they are related if you are asleep you may think you are doing good you may do harm you may think you are doing harm you may do good in your sleep everything is possible you will become a do gooder and do gooders are the most mischievous people we have suffered much from these do gooders they don't know who they are they don't know any silent state of consciousness they are not aware but they go on doing good what to say about good a sleepy person cannot be certain even of doing harm he may think he is doing harm and the result may be totally different that's how acupuncture was discovered a man wanted to kill somebody he hit him with an arrow and that man the victim had suffered his whole life from a headache and the arrow hit him on the leg and the headache disappears totally disappears he was puzzled he went to his physician that you have not been able to treat me and my enemy has treated me he wanted to kill me but something went wrong my headache has disappeared i am grateful to him then the physicians started thinking about it how it happened that's what now acupuncturists go on doing you can go to abhyana you may be having a headache and he may start putting needles all over your body those needle points were discovered because of this accident 5000 years have passed in these 5000 years acupuncture has developed tremendously now there is much scientific support for it in soviet russia they are working on acupuncture very seriously because it has great potential it can cure almost all diseases those needles can change your currents of body electricity that man must have suffered from too much electricity in the head the arrow hit a certain meridian a certain electric current in his feet and the electric changed its course it was no more going to the head 
hence the headache disappears now the man who wanted to do harm has done a great beneficial act to the whole humanity not only to that man because in these 5000 years millions of people have been helped by acupuncture the whole credit goes to that unknown person who wanted to kill in your unconsciousness it is difficult to decide what will be the outcome you move in a dark dark night all is accidental sindenberg had lived a virtuous life he was even president of the synagogue but when he entered heaven the angel in charge said you can't stay here why as sindenberg i always tried to be a good man that is it explained the angel everyone here was a good man but they all committed at least one sin since you didn't sin at all the rest of the souls will resent you but protested sindenberg is not there something i can do well consider the angel you can have six more hours on earth to commit a sin but you must do somebody a real injury sindenberg bent back to earth and suddenly he saw a middle aged woman looking at him they started talking she invited him home with her soon they were making love like two teenagers six hours later sindenberg said i am sorry but i have to go now listen cried the woman i never married or even had a man you just gave me the best time i had in my whole life what a good deed you did today <laughs> now he had come to do some real injury and what he has really done is a good deed the woman is immensely happy and grateful and those six hours are gone now there is no more time left again he will be in trouble in sleep you cannot do good you cannot even do bad all is accidental and when a person comes to a master he comes almost fast asleep he comes out of curiosity accidentally he expects much and his expectations are natural in his state he expected lessons in zen now that is absolutely foolish there are no lessons in zen zen in the first place is not a teaching but a device to awaken you it is not information it is not knowledge it is a method to shake you up to wake you up
teaching means you are fast asleep and somebody goes on talking about what awakening is. And you go on snoring. And he goes on talking. You are asleep, he is asleep. Otherwise he will not talk to you. At least when he will see that you are snoring, he will not talk to you. When I was a student in the university, I had one of a great teacher, a very well-known philosopher. For three years nobody had joined his class. He was the head of the department. And people were afraid to join his class because he's a, he was a non-stop talker. Sometimes two hours, three hours, four hours. And he had this condition. He will say to every student that if you want to participate into my classes, if you want to take my subject, then this must be remembered. That I can start my lecture when the period starts, but I cannot stop when the period is over. Unless I am totally finished with the subject. And how it can be managed within 40 minutes? Sometimes it takes two hours, sometimes it takes only half an hour. So whenever it is finished, that is the end. He told me also the same. I wanted to join his class. I was intrigued with the old man. He said, listen. Don't blame me later on. Sometimes I speak for four hours. Five hours also I have spoken. I said, you don't be worried about that. I can speak longer than you. <laughs> and I told him, remember, that when I start speaking, I forget who is the teacher and who is the student. I don't care. So you also keep it in mind that if I start speaking, you cannot stop me. And secondly, the time of your periods is such that those are the hours when I sleep. From 12 to 2, I must sleep. That I have done my whole life. More I can sleep. I have slept from 11 to 5 the whole day. But this much is absolutely necessary that I cannot miss. So I will sleep. You can go on talking. He said, how can you sleep when I am talking? I said, I use earplugs. <laughs> you go on talking. I am not concerned with your talk at all. That is up to you. 
you enjoy it to your heart's content and I will be sleeping. And you cannot object to that. He agreed to my condition, I agreed to his condition. And that's how we became great friends. He will speak and I will sleep. Now, this person must be fast asleep himself. Otherwise, why? Because I was the only student in his class. <laughs> to whom he was talking? He was unburdening himself. And he was very happy to find a student who will remain at least in the class, although asleep, but at least he was there. This is what goes on in the whole world. Priests are asleep, talking to their congregations, Professors are asleep talking to their students, metaphysically asleep. I am not talking about the ordinary sleep. Metaphysically everybody is snoring. Zen is not a teaching because it knows you are asleep. The primary thing is not to teach you. The primary thing is to wake you up. Zen is an alarm. But Soshin naturally expected some lessons in Zen. From his teacher, the way school boys start at school. Remember, if Zen is not a teaching, then you cannot call the Zen master a teacher either. He is not a teacher. He is a master. And there is a great difference between a teacher and a master. But when you first come in close contact with a master, you think of him as a teacher. Maybe a great teacher, but still you think in terms of his being a teacher. And the reason is in your expectation that he teaches something, that he is teaching great philosophy, that he is teaching great truths. No, a real master is not a teacher. A real master is an awakener. His function is totally different from a teacher. His function is far more difficult and only very few people can stay with a master because to wake up after millions of lives is not an ordinary feat, it is a miracle. And to allow somebody to wake you up 
needs great trust, great surrenders. So in Zen, first people are accepted only as a novice, as beginners. Only when the master sees some quality in them which can be awakened, when he sees something very potential, then they are accepted and initiated into higher things. Otherwise they remain novice for years, doing small things, cleaning the floors, cooking the food, chopping wood, carrying water from the well. And the master goes on watching and he goes on helping them to become a little more alert while they are chopping wood, while they are carrying water from the well, while they are cleaning the floor. You will see here in this commune at least one thousand sannyasins doing different kind of things. When Indians come here for the first time, they are puzzled because their idea of a ashram, of a religious commune is totally different. People should be sitting, praying, doing bhajan. They can't conceive that people should be working, cooking food, weaving, doing pottery, painting, photography, creating music, poetry, dancing. They can't believe their eyes when they see for the first time the commune. They come with certain expectations and they want you to look serious, religious, holy, and you look so joyous, you look so loving, so warm. They expect you to be utterly cold, as cold as a corpse. And you are so warm and so loving and so alive that they are shocked for the first time. Zen does not believe that people simply should live a holy life, a virtuous life, doing nothing, just turning the beats, or repeating some mantra. Zen believes in creativity. Zen believes in the ordinary world. It wants to transform the mundane into the sacred. So the first message given to the beginners is to start work, but be alert. 
and it is easier to be alert while you are working than while you are simply chanting a mantra. Because when you are chanting a mantra, every possibility is that the mantra will function as a tranquilizer. When you repeat a single word again and again, it creates sleep because it creates boredom. When you repeat a certain word again and again, it changes your inner chemistry. It is one of the ancient most ways of falling asleep. If you cannot fall asleep in the night, if you suffer from sleeplessness, then methods like Maharishi, Maharishi Yogi's transcendental meditation are perfectly good. That method has nothing to do with meditation. It is neither meditation nor transcendental. It is simply a non-medicinal tranquilizer. It is good as far as it can bring sleep and without any drug. I appreciate it. But it has nothing to do with meditation. You can repeat your own name again and again and you don't need to pay the fees to anybody and you don't need any initiation, just repeat your own name. Repeat fast so that nothing else enters your mind. Only your name resounds. Repeat loudly inside so from your toes to the head, it is resounding inside. Soon you will get bored, fed up. And that is the moment when you start falling asleep. Because there seems to be no other escape. All mothers know it. It is one of the ancient most methods women have been using. With their children, on their children. They didn't call it transcendental meditation, they used to call it lullabies. <laughs> the child tosses and turns, but the mother goes on repeating the same line again and again. And finding no other escape outside, the child escapes inside. That means he becomes asleep. He says, I am so fed up that unless I fall asleep, this woman is not going to stop. <laughs> and soon he learns, the moment he falls asleep, the woman stops. So it becomes a conditioning. Then it becomes a conditioned reflex. Slowly, slowly, just the woman repeats one or two times and the child is fast asleep. This you can do to yourself. It is a process of auto-hypnosis. Good as far as sleep is concerned, but it has nothing to do with meditation. In fact, it is just the opposite of meditation, because meditation brings awareness. And this method brings sleep. 
Hence I appreciate it as a technique for a sleep, but I am totally against it. If it is taught to the people as a method of meditation, Shoshin expected lessons in Zen. From his teacher, the way school boys started school. This is your story. This is everybody's story. Each seeker comes with such expectations. Sometimes foolish people come to me and they ask, What is your teaching in Sart? Which of your book contains your total teaching? I have no teaching. That's why there are so many books possible. Otherwise, how can there be so many books possible? If you have a certain teaching, then one or two books will do. That's why I can go on talking forever, because I have no teaching. Every teaching will sooner or later be exhausted. I cannot be exhausted. There is no beginning and no end. We are always in the middle. I am not a teacher. But everybody grows physically, but psychologically remains a child. Your psychological age is never more than thirteen, even lesser than that. It was a shock when it was discovered for the first time in the First World War that man's average psychological age is only 12 or 13 at the most. That means you may be 70 and your mind is only 13. So if somebody looks at your body, you look so old, so experienced, but if somebody looks into your mind, you are carrying the same childish mind still. Your God is nothing but a projected father. It is father fixation. You cannot live without the idea of father. Maybe your actual father is dead and you cannot conceive yourself without a father. You need an imaginary father in the heaven who takes care of you, who looks after you. And certainly, the ordinary father is bound to die one day or other. 
So you need a heavenly father who is eternal, who will never die. So he will become your safety and security. Once somebody asked George Gurdjieff, why all the religions teach respect your parents? Gurdjieff said for a simple reason. If you respect your parents, you will respect the gods. Because God is nothing but the ultimate parent. If you don't respect your parents, you will not be bothered with God either. A great insight. God is the great father. You are just a small children, searching for a last father, searching for a last childhood, searching for the security of a childhood. Your behavior is childish. A young father was shopping at a department store with his daughters when the little girl suddenly said, Daddy, I gotta go. Not right now, replied the father. I gotta go now, shouted the girl. To avoid a crisis, a sales lady stepped up and said, That's all right, sir, I will take her. The sales lady and the little girl went off hurriedly, hand in hand. On their return, Tani looked at his daughter and said, Did you thank the nice lady for being so kind? Why should I thank her? retorted the little girl. She had to go too. Just watch your reactions and you will be surprised. They are childish. Your manners, however sophisticated from the outside, deep down are childish. Your prayers, your church going are all childish. Zen is not concerned with your childish state of mind. It has no desire to nourish it anymore. Its concern is maturity. It wants you to become mature. It wants you to become ripe. Hence it has no idea of God. No father in the sky. It leaves you totally alone. Because in aloneness only maturity is possible. It leaves you totally in insecurity. It gives you no security, no guarantee. It gives you all kinds of insecurities to move into and that's what sannyas is also a quantum leap into insecurity a quantum leap into the unknown because only with that encounter you will become mature and maturity is freedom maturity 
is liberation. But Dogo gave him no special lessons on the subject. There are none. And this bewildered and disappointed Soshin, naturally, he was expecting and expecting and expecting and waiting, and no special lessons were given. He wanted few simple principles so that he clings to them, so that he can hold unto them, so that they become his treasure, his knowledge. And the Master has not given any special lesson. Naturally, he was disappointed. If you are expecting anything, you are bound to be disappointed. Expectation always brings disappointment, frustration. One day he said to the Master, it is some time since I came here, but not a word has been given me regarding the essence of the Zen teaching. People are in a hurry. I have come to know people who have meditated three days, and the fourth day they ask, three days we have been meditating, nothing has happened yet. as if they are obliging existence by meditating for so long, three days, one hour every day, that means three hours. And if you look actually in their meditation, they were just daydreaming. With closed eyes, they were daydreaming. They call it meditation. And just because three days they have been sitting for one hour, with great difficulty, somehow managing great noise inside, no silence, no peace, no consciousness, just desires, thoughts, memories, imagination, constant traffic, crowd, and then they come the fourth day, that Bhagwan, what is happening? Three days have passed and nothing has happened yet. Time should not be taken in account at all. Three years, not even three lives. You should not think in terms of time, because the phenomenon of meditation is non-temporal. It can happen any moment. It can happen right now. It may take years, it may take lives. It all depends on your intensity on your sincerity, and it all depends on your totality. A pretty young woman stabbed 
unto a crowded street car and seeing that all the seats were taken she asked would one of you gentlemen make room for a pregnant woman a middle-aged man quickly stood up and gave her his seat after she was seated he solicitously asked her how long have you been pregnant about 15 minutes and god am i tired Fifteen minutes pregnant. Even that is okay, but three days of meditation is even more stupid. Shosin said one day to the master, "There must be some anger, frustration, disappointment." has he chosen a wrong person to be with no special teaching has been given yet and the ego always wants something special it is some time since i came here he said but not a word has been given me regarding the essence of the zen teaching in the first place there is no zen teaching as such Zen is a method of awakening not a theology it does not talk about god it forces you into god it hits you in many ways so that you can be awakened into god to be asleep is to be in the world to be awake is to be in god methods are there devices are there but no teaching at all in a little new mexico town a pretty young tourist overheard a virile Navajo saying chance to every passing female finally her curiosity got the better of her and she walked up to him and said hello to which he answered chance i thought all indians said how i know how just want chance he replied <laughs> all teachings are concerned about how to do it why to do it for what purpose for what goal zen simply gives you a chance an opportunity a certain context a space in which you can become awakened and that's exactly my work here to create an opportunity a space a context where you are bound to be awakened where you cannot go on sleeping forever dogo replied since your arrival 
I have ever been giving you lessons on the matter of Zen discipline. What kind of lesson could it have been? Now, Shoshin is even more puzzled and bewildered, because the Master says, since your arrival, I have ever been giving you lessons on the matter of Zen discipline. Strange are the ways of the real Masters. Indirect are their ways, subtle are their ways. Remember, he does not say on Zen teaching, he says on Zen discipline, on the matter of Zen discipline. What kind of lesson could it have been when you bring me a cup of tea in the morning, I take it. When you serve me a meal, I accept it. When you bow to me, I return it with a nod. The Master is saying, have you observed me? That is essential core of Zen, watching, observing, being aware. The Master is saying, when you bring a cup of tea in the morning for me, have you watched me, how I take it, with what gratitude? Have you watched me, how I accept it, with great awareness? It is not just tea. Nothing is ordinary in the eyes of Zen. Everything is extraordinary, because everything is divine. Zen master have transformed ordinary things like tea drinking into religious ceremonies. The tea ceremony is a great meditation. It takes hours in every Zen monastery there is a separate place for tea ceremony, a temple, a temple for tea. And when people are invited by the Master, they go to the temple in absolute silence. The temple is surrounded by rocks or a rock garden, Sanantanu has made just now a small rock garden around my room with a small waterfall. He has placed the rocks in such a beautiful way. He seems to have the insight, seems to have a communion with the rocks, The rocks have come alive and they don't seem to be 
just put any way haphazardly, they seem to be in a deep harmony. Now Sanantanu is going to create many rock gardens in the new commune. So you can sit by those rocks, any small bamboo huts for the tea ceremony. And when a person goes, when the master invites for tea, he takes a bath, he meditates, he cools himself down, he prepares himself. Because it is no ordinary occasion, an invitation from the Master. Then he walks the rocky path with full awareness, slowly. The closer he comes to the temple, the more alert he becomes. He becomes alert of the birds singing. He becomes alert of the flowers, their colors, their fragrance. And as he comes closer to the tea room, he starts hearing the noise of the samovar. He goes in. The shoes have to be left outside. He enters very silently, bows down to the master, sits quietly in a corner, Listening to the samovar, the humming sound of the samovar and the subtle fragrance of ritti filling the room. It is a prayerful moment. Then cups and saucers are given. The master himself gives those cups and saucers the way he gives, he pours the tea, the way he pours, then they all sip silently the tea. It has to be sipped with tremendous awareness. Then it becomes a meditation. And if tea drinking can become a meditation, then anything can become a meditation. Cooking or washing your clothes, any activity can be transformed into meditation. And the real sannyasin, the real seeker will transform all his acts into meditation. Only then, when meditation spreads all your life, not only while you are awake in the day, slowly, slowly it starts penetrating and permeating your being in the sleep too. When it becomes just part of you, like breathing, like your heart beats, then, then only you have attained to the discipline, to the essential discipline of Zen. The Master said, when you bring me a cup of tea in the morning, have you observed or not? Are you asleep or awake? Can't you see the way I take it? 
when you serve me a meal, can't you see the way I accept it with great gratitude? As if you have brought a treasure. When you bow to me, I return it with a nod. Have I ever missed? Have it ever been noticed by you that I have not responded immediately? If you have been watching, then this is the real matter of Zen discipline. Do the same. Do likewise. How else do you expect to be taught in the discipline of Zen? But you don't watch, you don't see, you go on dressing, doing things somehow, mechanically. And you go on falling into pitfalls, the same pitfalls again and again. A nigger walks into a white bar with three friends, goes up to the barman and bets him twenty-five dollars he can lick his own eye. The barman thinks, goddamned stupid nigger, nobody can lick his own eye. So he bets him the twenty-five dollars. The nigger takes out his glass eye and licks it. And then bets the barman another twenty-five, he can bite his other eye. The barman thinks, ah boy, is this nigger ever dumb? Nobody could come in here with two glass eyes and takes him up on the bed. The nigger takes his false teeth out and bites the other eye. And the barman turns red with anger, smart ass nigger. Then the nigger says, I will bet you another twenty-five dollars. Wait a minute, says the barman. No way. You think I am stupid? I come on, says the nigger. I will bet you double or nothing. I can piss in that short glass on the table on the other side of the room. The barman stops, <laughs> ponders a while and says, Okay, even a stupid goddamn nigger could not do that. You are on, I will bet you double or nothing. The nigger proceeds to piss all over the bar, the floor, everywhere. The barman starts laughing like hell and wiping it up says, Boy, nigger, you are really dumb to think you could piss that far. And the nigger replies, I am not so dumb. See those three dudes over there? I bet them three hundred dollars I could piss all over the bar and you would wipe it laughing. <laughs> Man goes on doing the same, maybe a little bit different situation but nothing much different. If you are asleep,
if you are unconscious, you cannot watch, you cannot observe that again another pitfall, that again you are going into another mistake, another error, that you are again stumbling. Maybe it is a little bit different, because in life nothing is ever the same, but thousands of times you fall, and still you don't learn the single thing worth learning. You learn all kinds of things in life, except one thing which can transform you, and that is the art of awareness. Soshin hung his head for a while, pondering the puzzling words of the Master. The Master said, if you want to see, see right at once. When you begin to think, you miss the point. These are tremendously significant words. If you want to see, see right at once. When you begin to think, you miss the point. Because thinking is only a way of missing the point. When you hear the truth, see it immediately. Don't say, I will think over it. Don't take notes that back home, I will ponder over it. You are missing the whole point. Truth has an immediacy, and you are postponing it by thinking. And what can you think about truth? And whatsoever you will think is going to be wrong. Truth is truth, and untruth is untruth. You cannot make an untruth truth by thinking for years, and you cannot make a truth untruth by thinking for years. Nothing can be done about it. Your thinking is absolutely irrelevant. See it. Seeing is relevant. Thinking is not relevant. That's why in the East we don't have any word to translate the English word philosophy. We have a word, darsan, which is ordinarily used as a translation for philosophy, but is not right to do that. Darsan means seeing, and philosophy means thinking. And there is such a tremendous difference, such a vast difference between the two. What more difference can there be between two things? Seeing and thinking. Darsan simply means seeing. It is not thinking. It is awareness. Silently alert. 
you sit by the side of the master he says something or so something rather and you see it if you are silent and aware you are bound to see it you cannot miss it if you hang your head and you start thinking you have forgotten about the master you are lost into your own words you are translating the masters into your own words and you cannot translate those heights those depths and whatsoever you will translate will be something utterly different than what the master has said three frenchmen while practicing their english got around to discussing the wife of a friend who was childless she is unbearable said one no that is the wrong word she is inconceivable no no you are both wrong said the third what you mean is she is impregnable now you can go on thinking when the master speaks he speaks from the heights of awareness and you listen in the darkness of your valley don't translate and don't try to figure it out what he is saying just listen just the other day somebody had asked listening to you unquestioningly accepting it is not it a way to be conditioned by you listening silently does not mean that you are agreeing with me it is not a question of agreement or disagreement listening silently does not mean that you are accepting me or rejecting me if you are accepting you are not silent the activity is there the activity of accepting if you are agreeing with me that means you are already translating me if you are rejecting me that is negative activity if you accept me that is positive activity and to be silent simply means no activity at all you are simply here just being here only available no question of agreeing or disagreeing and the beauty of truth is the moment you hear the truth something inside you responds says yes it is not agreement of the mind remember it comes from your totality every fiber of your being every cell of your body nods 
in tremendous joy. Yes. Not that you say yes. It is not said. It is not verbalized at all. It is silently there. And when you hear some untruth, in the same way there is a no. Your whole being says no. That too is not mental. This is a totally different approach. West has not been able to evolve it yet. The East has evolved it. For centuries we have been working on this subtle method, polishing it, polishing it. It has become a mirror. The East knows how to just sit in silence without agreeing or disagreeing. Because we have discovered one fundamental thing. That truth is already inside you. If you hear the truth from the outside, your truth will be awakened. It will be provoked. Suddenly you will see, yes, as if you had known it already. It is a recognition. It is a remembrance. You are simply being reminded by the Master about that which you have forgotten. It is not a question of agreement or disagreement. No, not at all. I am not interested in creating beliefs in you. And I am not interested in giving you any kind of ideology. My whole effort here is, as it has always been of all the Buddhas since the beginnings of time, to provoke truth in you. I know it is already there. Just it needs a synchronicity. Just it needs something to trigger the process in you of recognition. The master speaks not to give you the truth, but to help you to recognize the truth that is already within you. The master is only a mirror. You see your own original face in deep silence, sitting by his side. The Master said, if you want to see, see right at once. When you begin to think, you miss the point. Enough for today.